Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. This week's show is another very special panel episode where we're sharing how the conversations with our customers have helped to shape the products that we ship. At Intercom, we believe that great things can happen when you have a conversation, which is why customer feedback is a big deal to all of our team. It's really integral to what we do and how we build. On the last Build For You episode, we talked about how customer feedback adds up to the features that we build at Intercom. This time around, we're picking up on those conversations to see how they led to Series, one of our biggest launches this year. In this episode, you'll hear from Thomas Creighton Defarius, our host again today and Senior Product Education Producer, Nicole Garrison, Product Marketing Manager, Lucas Souza, Engineering Manager, Alex Potrivayev, Senior Product Designer, and Wal McConnell, Senior Product Analyst here at Intercom. They'll walk you through the process of building series, from cross-team collaboration to beta testing your way towards operational excellence. If you've ever wondered how all the pieces tie together in a major launch that's rooted in customer feedback, then this is the episode for you. So let's head over to the studio and hear from our panel. Thank you for joining us today on this special episode of Inside Intercom. This is the second of the Built For You podcasts. And in the first podcasts, I chatted with some of our teams from research, engineering and product management who turn your feedback into the features and products that we build. We learned that customer feedback is not distilled and passed down through a production line. Rather, each of the teams look at the feedback unvarnished from the outset and work together to solve the problem that is being presented. In this episode, I'm diving deeper into how that collaboration between R&D and other teams both shapes the products that we build and allows us to measure whether we have indeed solved real customer problems. Now, my panel today are no strangers to each other as they've been working closely together on one of our biggest releases this year, which is Series. So let's hear from our panelists about who they are and the work that they do at Intercom. Lucas, let's start with you. Cool. Hey, Thomas. Hey, folks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here talking about a great project like Series with great folks like you. Uh, so, well, I am an engineer manager at Intercom for about 2.5 years. And for 1.5 years, I have been managing the team responsible for building and maintaining uh, series. Great stuff. Yeah, I'm Alex. Uh, I'm a designer on the same team as Lucas is. Um, been working on series from start to finish uh, through all of the sort of nitty gritty details of it. I'm Nicole. I am a product marketer here at Intercom, and I was responsible for our go-to-market strategy and bringing series to market this last year. And I'm Wal. I'm on the research and data science team here at Intercom, and our our group, we work with folks across Intercom um, trying to help them understand the opportunities and risks in the adoption activity and, and Ultimately, I guess the commercial performance of their products and the Intercom product suite. So they are principally on the messaging and outbound products. So that's how I've been involved in in this product series. Well, you're all very welcome to this virtual roundtable. 
Um, and to start off, does anyone want to try and summarize maybe all of the customer feedback or the problems that Ceres was trying to solve? And maybe tell us a little bit about what is Ceres? <laughs> so I guess there were two main reasons why we decided to build Ceres in the first place. So we have this product called Campaigns, our previous product to orchestrate outbound messages that do not provide customers with any like visual tool that allow them to check their outbound messages, how they are performing, how they are sequenced, how they are connected, how they are organized. So customers, as a, as a consequence of this, they ended up using third-party visual tools to draw their campaigns before they turn them into real intercom campaigns, which, as you can imagine, create a lot of friction and burden for our customers. And I would say that the another great reason why we decided to build series is that over time, more types of messages were released. An example of that is carousels, tours, and most recently banners. And supporting such brand new messages on campaigns would cost us a lot of engineer efforts. So we basically decided to, okay, let's queue two birds with OnStone. Let's provide our customers with such a, like a visual tool in a way that they don't need to use any third party tool. And at the same time, let's support our new outbound messages. And not only the new outbound messages, but also the any future outbound message that uh, we build. Fantastic. So if I was to summarize that into kind of two key problems that you're solving, it's to create that visual tool that allows you to orchestrate your messaging and then something that allows you to use that multi-channels of outbound uh, channels that we have in Intercom. Uh, so allows you to essentially use all of those channels. Is that a fair summary of the two problems that you're solving? Yeah, exactly. Pretty much it. Yeah, I just wanted to add one one more thing on top of what Lucas was saying. Based on this historical decisions that we've made back when we were creating our first iteration of the solution to this outbound orchestration problem, which was called campaigns. Back then we were seriously thinking of like what it should actually be that solution and how it should work. And back then we decided that uh, well the future of orchestration is uh, something very automated, very sort of hands-off approach where you would just put a bunch of messages into the single tool and uh, we will decide ourselves through some sort of algorithm and uh, smart suggestions on which message to send to what person at what time. But the problem was that for, for customers, it was just something that they didn't feel ownership and control over. And thus, uh, this whole approach led to so much customer uh, confusion and feedback that they just didn't understand that black boxy nature of, uh, of campaigns. And so that was... Uh, also just part of the, the reason why we wanted to uh, to change and improve uh, the solution. Yeah, I think that like that's worth calling out. Just the that like from the old solution we had, the sophistication of usage and what customers are trying to achieve with orchestrated messaging now kind of outgrew the old solution we had. And so the, the new implementation of orchestration, which is what series is, required like a like it was a technical architectural refactor it was like a big rewrite in many ways it was a uh, new features in a new way it was more than perhaps just an iteration of what we had before it was 
like a very new way of thinking even about the problem at all. And I think that that's perhaps different in a way to the way we build a lot of stuff at Intercom. We iteratively improve and get it out in the wild and see how customers use it. This was kind of one of that the big uncomfortable kind of rewrite and the kind of rebuild and the relaunch of a big feature. I think that's what, what made it a bit different as well from internally from our perspective. That's really interesting, Wal, and I and I totally picking up on that. You know, Series is very much like nothing else in Intercom, uh, both visually. You know, the drag and drop orchestration that's there, um, and Alex, maybe I can come to you from a design point of view. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the specific problem that led you to think about how, as a designer, uh, you might package Series? Sure. Yeah, that the the final solution was definitely not uh, what it could have been, and there were very valid, viable options uh, that we considered for how series could look and work that had nothing to do with the visual element of it. As uh, Wall just mentioned, back with campaigns, uh, we actually were considering or even playing with ideas of just iterating on it as a, just doing a slight change of some of the functionality and just repackaging of some things uh, in order to make it more understandable and clear to customers. But the problem that we found was that it was just not about the lack of comprehension that people had with campaigns. It was also just the type of the use cases that we wanted to uh, prioritize and support and the type of workflows that customers actually had when they were creating their outbound orchestrations. It was just so different uh, from the linear non-visual flow which campaigns presented that we basically had to rethink it and go with a more visual approach. And then within that visual approach, there were multiple different layers and options for how flexible and how free the whole canvas will actually be. And we've uh, prototyped a lot of different options and we've uh, tried to see what would be the type of interactions which customers would have on that canvas that would actually allow us to support their workflows in a way that would make sense for our customers. And if we come back to the point that Lucas was saying that when we looked at how customers were actually creating their outbound orchestrations, we've seen that they actually went to tools like Miro or Whimsical or even just used a physical whiteboard in order to create a flow of their messages and visualize it and quickly iterate on it and move things around. And from there, we were able to understand that, hey, like if people are actually using those visual tools in order to collaborate with other folks and create their orchestrations before moving them into Intercom's non-linear builder, we figured that actually that's probably a really good indication that we should look more into providing an experience that is much more similar to those types of tools, which reminds you of actually playing with things on the whiteboard rather than being constrained in any way when they're creating their orchestrations. And so that's where the whole visual direction and visual nature for Sirius came from. 
Alex, that's that's a really interesting from a design point of view, because I'm sure there's plenty of people who will be listening to this podcast and thinking Alex is a designer. Lucas is on the engineering team. And it's probably an oversimplification to say that maybe the discussions between your teams are, are about style versus function. But it sounds like the design team are very much involved in creating something that is equally as functional. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really interesting thing about Intercom. The collaboration that we have within the team is on so many levels and ensures that designers and engineers are and product managers are fully involved in the whole process on every single decision point, and which meant that during each of the design explorations, we've always had an engineer in the room playing a role of a person who would be able to point out that, hey, like this is type of a thing is actually very hard for us to do. And this type of thing is something that we can do. And this type of thing is something that we should discuss and try to come up with a better or more clear solution. And similarly, from the design perspective, I've been involved very hands-on in the engineering part of things and ensuring that all the little polish and all the little visual features were actually looking in the way that uh, we wanted them to look. And so it was this very tight collaboration between two functions throughout the whole process, which ensured that we've always been like at each point, at each important milestone, we've been aligned around uh, what is the type of thing that we believe together as a team is the right thing for us to do and the right solution for our customers. And inevitably, I'm sure there were some concessions that needed to be made during that collaboration. Lucas, can you tell me a little bit about you know what concessions were made in launching series? Was there anything descoped from the launch that you might expect to come out as a fast follow? Yeah, that's a very great question because, Alex, we remember a lot of concessions that we need to make in the first place, especially when it comes to the canvas. So I think there is something that is important to say here that makes my life very easy as a manager, which is our culture and how our culture play like an important role in this concessions that we need to make. So I think engineers in Intercon overall, they have like a great understanding of their role in releasing value to customers. They understand this super well. They understand that sometimes they need to build something that is a little bit more complex than they were expecting, but this is going to be important. It's going to unleash a lot of value for our customers. And Alex, on the flip side, I think understood very well that some of the things that he was suggesting us to do was very, very complex and would take us like a few more weeks than we have planned initially. And this could potentially kind of derail the whole project and uh, not allow us to release the project on time. So I think the Canvas is a great example. You know, a lot of concessions were made on both sides. Alex and the engineers, as Alex said, they were in constant talk with each other to ensure that decisions they were, they were made basically to optimize for a solution that, uh, in my opinion, would be a combination of three things. Uh, great UX that would allow us to increase adoption, that would allow customers to use theories in the way that they were expecting. Great coach that would not create technical debt that we needed to pay in the future. 
And also something which I believe is the combination of the two first factors that I mentioned, which is velocity, that would allow us to collect feedback more quickly. So let's say that Alex was suggesting something that seemed to us to be pretty crazy. What is the simplest solution that we can build to put this in front of customers and see if this is uh, what Alex was expecting? And we did that multiple times with prototypes, with real code, et cetera. So yeah, I think it's part of our culture, as I said, you know, it really boils down to our culture that allow us to make those concessions without any hurt feelings and optimizing for, for customers. That's really interesting that, you know, customer feedback played a role in helping you reach a consensus or a way forward in the project as well. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Nicole, can I bring you in here? Because one of the things that we learned from our first podcast was that when you have a lot of customers sharing their unique problems or at least their own unique ways of describing a problem, it's not always easy to collect that feedback into a clearly defined problem to be solved. Does that present challenges when you're bringing the solution or product back to those customers? Yeah, that's a great question because like everyone has mentioned prior to this, Series was a big standalone product that we had to build from scratch. Unlike a lot of the work we do at Intercom, which is small incremental changes that we can deliver really quickly to drive value for our customers. This was a very different scenario where we were developing something from the bottom up. And that posed a challenge because we were solving so many different problems for our customers. And so from a messaging perspective, so in product marketing, I'm focused on communicating that value and really thinking about that value proposition and why our customers should use something like series for their outbound messaging. And so in communicating that, we really needed to think about 
what are the key high level challenges that this tool solves for and really filtering out the noise and isolating those really key value propositions that series would deliver our customers. And so part of that was a lot of back and forth internally and prioritizing those, those messages we wanted to get across. But another part of that was speaking with our beta customers and really understanding what was the value that they were getting from using this tool and then thinking about how we could use that in our messaging and communicating that out to the market. And so it was a lot of back and forth and a lot of hypothesizing and then um, narrowing that down. But we ultimately were able to land on a few key value propositions that series brings, which is A, the visual nature of it. So the ability to really see what you're trying to the, the message journey that you're building out and then be the fact that you have all of those different message types across all of um, Intercom's channels. So email, push notifications, mobile carousels, chats, posts, product tours, and the ability to really orchestrate those and create a consistent and meaningful journey for your customers. And so those were the two messages that we land on as like our really high level benefits. And then of course, there are lots of smaller um, more nuanced benefits that we would then throw in our messaging at different phases of that journey. But, um, yes, to surmise, it was challenging to figure out what those two key or those high level benefits were, but we had a process in place to really nail those down. And you mentioned the beta program and you were almost testing your messaging to see if it resonates with that beta audience? Yeah. So I, throughout the beta process, we're always looking to get feedback to understand how our, our customers are liking it, if they have any feedback, and then exactly how they're using it. And so as a product marketer, I'm checking in to understand their the benefits that they're seeing. And so from a you know, looking to talk to them just to get testimonials or case studies when it comes to the launch, but also to understand how the benefits resonate with them. And so I had regular calls with our beta customers and really looked to understand what their benefits were. Like if they could summarize what the key benefits were that they were getting from this tool, they would communicate those back to me. And then I would validate my, my assumptions or my hypotheses for what I thought those high level value propositions would be. Um, and that was a really great way to get that feedback and make sure that our messaging was really tight and in line with what our target audience and what our customers would believe. Interesting. Um, and while obviously you work with the analytics team, how does analytics fit into all of this? Yeah, it's, um, we wear, we wear a few hats, I guess, in the whole process. And that can be challenging because you know, well, we're evolving our processes over time. Our customers are changing their behavior over time too. They're becoming more sophisticated. Uh, they're becoming more advanced in their usage of intercom and the kinds of things they're trying to achieve in intercom. So it's a, it's a, a shifting kind of a platform in many ways. But the way we kind of tend to work with something like this, where new a new product that we're launching is part of it is defining success metrics with the product group. So we sit down, we go right. Well, like. You know, firstly, what, what does a customer who's getting great and like valuable and 
useful usage on this feature look like? What are they achieving? So we have some success metrics around that. And then, of course, we have our own success metrics as well. Internally, we want adoption of the product. We uh, want customers to be able to adopt the product in, in good ways. And because customers will tell us if they don't like a product, they'll stop using it. So we're, we're trying to understand that from an adoption perspective. So well, we, we do a couple of things around launches. So first thing is we define an adoption funnel. So this is like steps in the adoption of the product that a customer is going through on their way to advanced usage. So we have an aware phase and an interest phase and an intent phase and an active phase and a whatever. So we've got these stages of our adoption funnel that we, that we want customers to walk through as they get to being advanced users of the feature. What we do then, though, is we, we have this other thing over here, which is target customer tiers. We've got like tiers of target customers that we've got like our tier one. There are absolute, these, these customers, this feature is ideal for them. They're perfect customers. We expect really high usage by this. We expect really high adoption by this group. So we've got one adoption funnel for those. Then our tier two customers are those who we think will find this useful. We think we've like, yeah, you know, maybe they've used auto messaging or something in the past. We think they'll be good candidates for this feature, but they're not definites. They're not tier ones, but they're tier twos. Um, so we think that we've got separate kind of expectations of that group. And then the tier three is going to everyone else. We're not really sure whether they're going to adopt it all or a tier three. So what we do is we've got separate adoption funnels for each of these tiers. And we kind of monitor and view those adoption funnels. We keep an eye on those adoption funnels. There's different levels per, per tier. Like really all that though, what the point in all that stuff really though, is to try and encode our expectations as to what will happen down the road. So we as product people, we as builders, uh, we're kind of predict the future. We're saying, you know, we think this is what the product will look like in three months' time or six months' time as people are using it. So we encode all these expectations and our thoughts and what we think will happen in these tiers and adoption funnels. And then after release, after launch, we we look at these expectations we have and we see like does the data that come in, does that change our belief? Oh look, it turns out that you know, there's another actual use case over here, which is we didn't realize that at all. We were blind to that because we didn't know it becomes more valuable. So that's what we try and do. We generally try and put all the stuff in place so that we can describe our expectations. And then post-launch, we review the data as it arrives in to see are our beliefs changing? Is something unexpected happening or is exactly what we expected happening? So that's, that's kind of our role in all this. And then we try and take all that stuff and we take it around to the other teams and the guys on the call here, uh, like GTM, for instance, and we say, look, this is how we expect our customers to be. You know, can we, based on your plans, can we build a model around all of this that we can then go and try and set like very specific targets and goals on? But essentially, it's all about encoding expectations and then seeing the things play out the way we expect to or not, or what, what, what unexpected happens. So you're really defining who the product would best suit and... Would it be fair to say that as part of those funnels that you're creating, you're really trying to test if the problems that you have heard back, if they're actually being solved? Yeah, for sure. It's exactly it. Like through many channels, through usage, but through like your team and through the various other people telling us what the problems are, we basically encode the group we believe that have those problems into our tier, into one adoption funnel, and we expect that adoption funnel to perform really, if we've built the right product, that adoption funnel will perform really strongly. Lots of those customers will progress through to advanced usage. And if they do, then kind of that's what we expect to happen. If that doesn't happen, then we're, we're blind to something. We need to go and investigate why or understand why that's not the case. 
And do you, Nicole mentioned the beta group earlier on, uh, and we're testing kind of messages to see if they resonate. Mm. Are you doing the same thing with the funnels? Are you testing to see, does this funnel work? Is it doing what we intended? Yeah, that's a great question. This is something we've got better at with time. Like Early in the beta, there's no point doing that because early beta activity data it's just people in clicking around and playing around and, and like, you know, testing things out, which is exactly what we want. So like early in the beta phase, we're just trying to, from a Lick's point of view, just see our people using product even roughly in the correct way. And we're just trying to monitor that. And sometimes we find things, everyone who wanders into here suddenly clicks on this part. Why is that? So we're answering, early in the beta, we're answering those kind of questions. But late on in the beta, towards the end of it, really what we're doing, what we do is we, there's hypotheses for what should happen. Somebody using this, feature we have an hypothesis for what they should achieve through using it and later on the beta we, we were basically trying to see is there any like big evidence in the beta that would challenge that hypothesis is this hypothesis we have is the beta telling us that we're wrong and um, so we, we go into betas with very opinionated views on what we expect to happen and we only really react then if we see something very different or something very not unexpected happens in the beta but we tend to approach a beta in a very hypothesis driven way we like we believe this is going to happen and is there evidence in the beta to suggest that's not the case that's that's kind of what we're looking for i'm coming back to lucas alex are you looking out for the same things in a beta release what are the kind of key things that you get out of a, a beta group trying out new features that is a great question i would try to answer this question shedding some light on how the beta worked and helped us through the engineering lenses as i'm expecting alex is going to answer this question more through the product lenses so series was a was a big project that uh, was in the baking for about two years uh, most people they they don't know about this so we wanted to ensure that customers uh, would have not just like a great UX, but a whole great product experience, which in this case boiled down to operational excellence. Uh, in other words, we wanted that customers to have confidence that on the click set live on the series, their users would get their messages on the right time, on the right place. Uh, there should be no, no doubts about the series excellence behind the scenes. So uh, basically, we did two things. So we run some, some load tests behind the scene, simulating real customers' usage, like mimicking campaigns and stuff like that. So then we could ensure that, okay, the same load that we have for campaigns, we have for series and everything, our systems are working as we expected. However, we want also to use the beta to also stress test some crazy user cases. For example, questions like, how customers would use such a feature? How many users would they target? How many nodes would they set up? So those are questions that we didn't have a great answer. And just because, as folks mentioned previously, Series is such a, like a very and completely brand new product, customers might use Series in a different way than they use campaigns. So the way that we are like testing this out behind the scenes was, wasn't enough, basically. And we wanted to release this to beta customers to understand how they were using. So these allowed us, the beta allowed us to learn more about how our systems work under pressure, how our systems react to those crazy user cases that were completely unexpected. So instead of making assumptions and putting some technical limits in place, and frustrating customers, 
we decided to, okay, let's be a little bit more open-minded here. Let's release this to beta customers. Let's understand and learn how they are going to use this. Let's improve our systems and let's make sure that we are releasing the best products, not only in a product point of view, but also in an operational point of view. Yeah, the, the beta was completely instrumental for us and pretty much all of the decision-making. We tried to de-risk a lot of our decisions uh, even before we've gone to the beta. And uh, as Lucas mentioned, campaigns, for example, is a different product, but we still try to look at uh, some of the campaign usage in order to make some projections for how people will actually be using series. But uh, those are just projections. And uh, it's just a completely different story when people actually do try to use it in the actual wild. You know, we've, we've created a number of prototypes before for the actual visual builder. And again, did some user tests, uh, which were extremely helpful. But those user tests were not the real thing, were not the actual experience where people are setting up the messages in order to send them to their real customers. And that's a lot of anxiety. That's a lot of other emotions that people feel and that uh, uh, really stress tests the design decisions and the product approaches. And so for that case, and knowing that Sirius is such a complex and multi-layered product, we knew that we needed to have a bunch of time scheduled for the beta. And so I think we spent three three months in beta trying to understand each of those little bits and pieces and trying to stress test all of the decisions that we've made by that point. And then just using the beta as a way to, to get that ongoing customer input into all of the things that we've been doing. Like one of the tiny little extra point on the beta, maybe that's valuable is this, I think we spent a lot of time figuring out who would be in the beta and the customers that would participate. Uh, so as the product manager, I know spent a lot of like thoughtful time trying to get like a, a good balance of like perhaps existing customers from the old product, some who were happy, some who were frustrated, new customers, people who knew nothing about it, to try and get a mix of all the different kinds of people who might be exposed to series because it's a complex, it's, it's, there's a lot of complexity as a complex uh, product. So I think like thoughtfulness, this is probably the best release we've done maybe in terms of the thoughtfulness of who actually was in the beta program and those customers who contacted us or those customers who gave us feedback or, or I know mixed with customers who never gave us feedback at all. I think that was, that was a smart thing about this product. There's less than thoughtful notion of who actually would be in the beta program. It's really interesting to bring beta in. I think, you know, when we started this conversation around our customer feedback and how it shapes or helps to shape the products that we build, we were really thinking of customer feedback in terms of an intake system and then there's an output process. I think what the beta allows you to do is introduce feedback throughout that entire process. Uh, before we finish up, I wanted to come back to Nicole because Lucas expertly escaped telling me if there were any fast follows that we can expect from series. Are there particular feature releases on the cards for series coming up? Yeah, we have some really exciting features coming out over the next couple of weeks. So one of the biggest is A-B testing. So the ability to test multiple series against each other to see what is performing best. This is great 
for performance in general, but also for really understanding your specific customer base or your user base and what will drive impact. So that's our first. We also have annotations, which is the ability to take notes and collaborate with teammates within this series canvas in the builder. Um, so you can think of this as, oh, I need my manager to review everything I just built and just make sure it's okay. Or I want to get feedback from a colleague and collaborate within the specific tool rather than having to, you know, move everything into docs and collaborate offline. This would give our customers the ability to collaborate within series itself. So those are some of our biggest ones coming down the line. So keep an eye out for those. Nicole, Lucas, Alex, Anwal, thank you again for joining us on this podcast. Before I sign off, uh, my quick reflection on what I've learned over these past two episodes. As I said, it would be easy to imagine customer feedback as a simple intake and output process. But by taking the approach that exists in Intercom with each of the different teams looking at that unvarnished feedback, trying to deeply understand the problem to be solved, and then feedback coming in throughout that entire process uh, with all of the teams working together to create an intercom solution to the problem. What is built most often goes beyond what was initially asked from customers. And sometimes those features will simplify your workflows, making it easier for you to do the things you need to do. And sometimes what you get are tools that completely redefine the job you are doing in the first place. And it all starts with a conversation. I'm Thomas Creighton de Farias. Thank you for listening and see you next time. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with the team members who turn your feedback into the tools that are built for you. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people like you find their way to our content. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Scale by Intercom, featuring Gainsight's Nick Mehta. We do hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom. 